Bro, a couple meatheads here today. <laughs> a couple former meatheads, actually. Very uh, true. Kind of current, but yes. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Tree Podcast, Random Rantings on Science and Philosophy. Today we have a lot of science and a lot of philosophy, because we have Josh Simons in the building. Hey everybody. Uh, so me and Jordan grew up together and played football together for a very long time and have kind of reconnected here in the past couple of years off and on. Um, I played at University of Calgary football with him and then after I retired from the CFL I kind of fell into the mental health field so I'm a child and youth care counselor and I work with children from 6 to 12 in a variety of different capacities, um, work on family work, family unification, managing some maladaptive behaviors, um, and so yeah, that's me. I also own a dog, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really cool to see when former meatheads or football players that people think don't think um, get into something like your field, you know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even know enough about it to get into it, really. I mean, usually I'm up on things when it has to do with the environment or with, you know, sustainable development or even, like, physics, those kinds of things. But the whole, like, psychology and mm. that stuff, it's tough. Yeah, the mental health field is something I kind of fell into. And Jordan's completely correct, right? It's like people always ask me, how did you end up in that? When if you look at my personal history, my jobs were nothing but meatheadism. You know, I played a lot of football. I worked in nightclubs when I went to university. My degree's not too fancy, but uh, I kind of fell into it because um, a coach told me about it, believe it or not. And Which coach? Blake Nill. Oh. Yeah, our university head coach used to work at my agency years really? ago and kind of just was like, hey, dude, give it a shot. And uh, I started working in group homes that served anywhere from 16 to 19. And so those group homes kind of worked on developing kids who came out of care or out of protective custody, like secure services, uh, CYLC, so that's Calgary Young Offender Center, or PSECA, so like Protection of Sexually Exploited Children, those are all locked programs. Uh, so they're court mandated to live there. And so after they complete those services, they tend to need to find a place to kind of transition into because they might not have a stable environment to return to. So like home, so home is something that's uh, very chaotic and unhealthy for a lot of these kids. Yeah. And so we would work on basically developing the skills that they needed to be successful young adults. So if that was getting them back into school to get a high school diploma or a GED or getting them some work experience uh, or even reconnecting them with um, community resources. So say if we had an indigenous child, big thing was getting them reconnected maybe with an elder from their band to get them to kind of return to their traditional experiences and ways, which would be positive in supporting them. Um, and even if it was, say, I've worked with a couple Caribbean kids, it was connecting them with Caribbean cultural centers or getting them back to traditional roots along that line. Yeah. Or even French people, you know, there's a lot of things that they can learn through their culture that can help them heal and move forward in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I was done that, uh, I moved to a school. So it was a partnership within a district in Calgary and this agency and I was a counselor in a classroom. So 
very high needs, uh, lots of behavioral challenges. A lot of these kids never went to school because they tended to go in and out of um, those kind of more secure, uh, highly structured programs that I mentioned previously, or they just never went to school, period, because they were never held accountable or they were never asked or believed in to succeed. Yeah, right? that's, so, that's scary, you know, to think that in Canada how much that occurs. Yeah. Um, what's some of the craziest things you've experienced, though? Uh, with work? Yeah, like... I've had a some, lot. Some things that you never thought you would have seen <laughs> or that took you by surprise. Um, I remember I... Let me think. That's a, that's a big question because there's a lot of different experiences. Um, well, unfortunately, we have to do physical restraints. So I'm restraining this, this kid... And they're spitting in my face, and I'm with another staff. My other staff asks, can you go get a, a towel to kind of hold over my face to another staff? So this staff comes back with a towel, and I swear to God, she started to dab my face like I was some sort of neurosurgeon performing surgery. <laughs> Just like dabbing the spit off, not holding it over my face so I don't get spat on, but like wiping sweat off my head like I was doing brain surgery. It was it was maddening. Like I was, I was just like what are you doing? Like just hold it over my face, please. Uh <laughs> that was one of them for sure. That was a wild experience. Um but lots of things like that. Like I've definitely had a lot of fun, positive experiences. Uh, it's interesting, though, when you take out, say, a group of kids where I worked previously, and I used to have about 22 inches of hair, and I'm a pretty big guy, and I had this massive beard, and I hopped out of this big paneled van, so kind of like an Astro van, and I was with these kids, and they're all girls, and I definitely felt like I looked like a real piece of garbage. <laughs> And so I told him, like, you guys go do your thing. I'm going to stick maybe 15 feet away from you so I didn't maybe look like I was a pimp or something. And uh, just experiences like that, you know, like, lots of, it gets you out of your comfort zone because you have to work with people and go through what they're going through, right? Their experiences. Yeah. So <clears throat> teaching them about their body yeah. because they have no, like no adults ever taken the opportunity to talk to them that, like talk to them about that. So talking to, uh, you know, a 10 year old boy about what's going on. Um, that's always interesting because yeah. I definitely didn't think I'd be doing something like that until I have my own kids. Yeah. But I had to get out of my own comfort zone so I could normalize that experience and behavior so they wouldn't, internalize it as something negative and bad that they're doing and begin to feel weird. Yeah. But speaking of getting out of your comfort zone, this is something I talked to um, Dave Laskin about, Dr. Dirty Dave. Right? Yeah. He was on the, the first inaugural episode. Um, yeah, big thing was us both playing basketball and then with us both playing football mm -hmm. and then how that affects not just a career, but for us, we're talking about science. Uh, we're talking mm -hmm. about you know, how you can just accomplish your goals and things because the amount of work you had to put in, right? Like those early morning workouts yeah. before you went to class all day and then I'd go play basketball after also. Yeah. It was like, it really prepared you to put in work, right? You could take it one of two ways. You could go be a meathead and do nothing else yeah. or you could use that discipline that you're taught and carry it on through your life, which is why now it's not hard to go to the gym to push yourself. Absolutely. Or to push myself, I find anyways. Yeah. And it's... Something that, yeah, if you do it the right way, I think can really benefit. Like, did you Absolutely. find that 
in this field? Like, yeah, I don't know. The challenge has become a little bit hundred percent like the easier. Yeah. The way I look at it is it's all about the amount of work that I'm willing to put in. And Jordan's right. Like coming back, like we used to do these 6am workouts that were mandatory and we'd be punished if we didn't show up. And even now with work, it's, you know, I show up early all the time. I stay late. I don't complain. I do what I'm asked to do. And I'll do the little extra things because I want to be the best um, caregiver, child and youth care counselor I can possibly be just for the sake of my own personal pride and to help people. Yeah. And so when I'm going through stressful situations that might involve, you know, a child um, being hurt along something along those lines, you know, my kind of stress the ability to handle stress like yeah. off from playing football that's huge kicks in huge right because yeah. it, it really it, it rewires our brain man like if you think about football especially most people are wired for high frequency low intensity events throughout mm-hmm. their day and their life when you play football you go through like a huge intensity a very incredible intensity at a high frequency so it rewires our brains to handle stress and handle being scared or handle being afraid and do what you need to do to be successful and then move forward and then deal with it afterwards. Yeah, that helped you know? me so much when I moved to Guyana and I went to work at that research station. It was like, it was still hard. Mm-hmm. It was still scary, but I, I had that kind of initial, at least confidence, well, mm-hmm. at least that... I don't know, that want or that desire to push myself to do that. And then I found after I did that, so combined with playing the high-level athletics and then living in the jungle, from then on it was like, you know, wherever I wanted to travel. I went through Africa or Asia and, you know, all that time I spent in Belize. And now what I do with these tree trips, and I think that's why people can trust me when I'm taking them on these trips. They know I can handle everything. You know, it's not because I'm superhuman or whatever I've just been through it and I've been able to handle the situations that come up and it's huge and yeah another thing from um, those 6am workouts we used to do was one of my favorite things is after Josh and I would go to the dining center and (laughs) we'd have these talks about life we're like high on endorphins (laughs) getting that protein in and sitting around and talking about things that we thought we knew a lot about absolutely (laughs) we thought we were educated (laughs) Yeah. Second year university. Talking about places we've never been. <laughs> like we knew what it yeah. was like. and But it was super interesting and it was great to, mm-hmm. to kind of get away from that stereotype um, that football players don't think or don't do school. Yeah. And the fact that we both got out with degrees and, yeah. um, you know, and master's degrees and I don't know, just, I don't know if that's still a stereotype anymore like it was. Because nowadays you have people doing all kinds of things. It's not yeah. like in the, I think like the 60s, 70s, whatever, it's like you were labeled and like you were that. Yep. You know, if you were a hippie, if you were a jock, if you yeah. were a nerd, whatever, that's all you were and you couldn't kind of cross over. And so now you have everything. You just kind of do what you do. When a lot of the time it's other people labeling us, right? Because human beings, we tend to put people in boxes so we can understand. We try to, yeah. yeah. We really try to. And, and when people don't fit in that box is when issues arise. Yeah. Because people get confused They're like well what box do I put you in I can't I can't categorize you I don't yeah. know what to do with you and we're seeing that a lot I think totally and 
I don't, there's all these movements and stuff, and it's great because you shouldn't have to be in boxes. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it does help us get through like everyday life. Yeah, we create templates, and we have these templates in our brain of what a perfect spouse should be like, what a friend should be like, what an athlete should be like, what your boss should be like, what your brother or sister or a child, you know. And we we create expectations that a lot of people can't live up to, or if they exceed them or do something differently, it challenges people internally because they're like well i didn't expect that out of them because they're just a meathead or you know they're stupid yeah you know there's even things there's like arbitrary things that help us just navigate things like day-to-day life where so say like for a boy it's blue and for a girl it's pink there's no significance to that at all Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people saying you don't have to right if you're a girl you can wear blue you're a boy you can wear pink which is great and you should you should be able to do that because there's no reason why, you know, you can't wear the color you want or whatever. But the thing mm-hmm. is, it does serve a purpose. It's an arbitrary thing. Like 200 years ago in Europe, boys wore pink and girls wore blue. It doesn't, there's no connection at all. What it does is just help people who don't know you or don't want to spend the time, you know, just navigate the world. So if, if you have a baby... Right, yep. and so there's this big thing with like genderless babies and everything, which in some sense is really good because it's not going to label like a child either way and put them into that box. But at the same time, people kind of need that, which is why you know if you have a boy, people buy blue or do these things because mm-hmm. that's just the box they put it in. There's no necessary like reason for it. There's no meaning behind it. It's just arbitrary, but it helps them organize their thoughts or what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So I just think some people put too much emphasis, like you know, I don't want my kid to conform to this one special way and I get that and I don't think you should have to conform but it's good for others especially people who aren't really close to you just kind of peripheral people to be like yeah like here's a blue thing because it's a boy and that's just simple and easy and it makes sense mm-hmm. not that it means anything deeper or he has to follow some like masculine special way he has to be or whatever yeah. it just means that you know I don't need to what spend 50 hours looking for a perfect thing that suits his individual need it's just it's just a structure thing yeah yeah like for me um looking at it through the lens that i look at um people's development um i'm particularly open i don't really i don't really care what someone wants to call themselves or identify as it doesn't impact me personally um but i think jordan's right absolutely and i think a lot of people still are still need that structure and those those kind of guidelines and templates because it is challenging to a lot of people you know and it 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 does give you structure with how you interact with people and those kind of like societal norms of, oh, okay, it's a six-year-old's birthday, let's, and he's a boy, let's get him a G.I. Joe. Exactly. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean he has to play with those. It just yeah. means, it just takes away from having to personalize everything so much. So like as a, your parent, as a parent of the child, you know, if they don't like G.I. Joes and they want to play the doll or whatever, that's, I think that's great because you shouldn't have to restrict them. Mm-hmm. But if you're just like some whatever an aunt that doesn't spend much time or whatever, or even less than that, like a friend, um, you don't even know what's appropriate. That way you just kind of yeah. know it just, it's just a thing. And, and there's people who are opposed to this, right? So that's the mm-hmm. problem. There's people who are like, you shouldn't be allowed to identify yourself the way you want, mm-hmm. which is, 
I think, stupid because how does that impact you? Yeah, absolutely. But then there's people who are like, you know, you shouldn't ever label anyone anyway, and like, it, that doesn't lead to any beneficial structures, which we do need to an extent, right? They're, they're not like absolutely necessary, yeah. but they just help, right? Especially for things that aren't super important. You don't have to look into too much. Just in day-to-day life, like, you know, you... The whole reason that we use pronouns is just because you just refer to the person, right? And I know... I know there's a huge issue with that, and I'm not... I don't know. I don't think it's good to call someone the wrong one on purpose, right? But it's mm-hmm. like if you call someone the wrong one by accident, because that's just the way it's been categorized. Like, you know, you yeah. look like that, that's what you're called. It's just... I don't know. I don't really know... That's a teachable moment then for that person if they feel comfortable with explaining to you, no, sir, I don't identify as that. This is what I identify as. Exactly. And then them identifying that is not a problem because that's how you identify. Totally. But the person saying it, if they don't know, shouldn't be, you know, shamed or, or I don't know, made to feel bad when that's just the way it's been structured, right? Absolutely. So it's all about, uh, with our society, it's, we've created a history of, your boy, your girl, and now that there's some sort of um, change or growth or whatever you want to call it, development, whatever, you know, people are learning and it's up for people who can teach others to take advantage of that teaching, but not make it punitive and not make it something that's going to turn people away and shy people away from Mm -hmm. any sort of learning, right? Because it's all about education at the end of the day. You know, I think of myself and even... uh, I'll throw you in this too, Jordan, like coming from a very masculine background with football, you know, that would have been something that would be completely foreign to us. Not because we don't care, not because we're not innately loving people, but it's because we've lived in an environment that didn't foster really individuality or, you know, hyper, hyper traditional masculinity and very, very unopen to other yeah. things like think of the language we used to use right yeah. and like call each other and things like that and how it's yeah. just changed naturally totally. it's organically changed without being mandated without saying yeah. you can't say certain things just because you know getting a little bit away from that and then having time to be around other groups of people and mm-hmm. seeing things in a different way and then allowing ourselves like us in particular but also I'm sure however many other guys we played with to be more open mm-hmm. and then you just it changes because like you don't want to do things that harm others totally or even the fact that it can harm us man because we can buy into that and i did that for years man where it's like no i'm uh i'm hard as hard as nails i don't need anyone's help i don't need to tell anyone how i'm feeling you know and i think as a dude when you have that kind of hyper masculinity placed upon you you know any sort of fear or any sort of Apprehension is absolutely yeah. not by other people. Do you know where I saw that? A great example was in Belize. Um, when I was working with EPI, we had a group of students that were, um, they were, I don't know how you'd say it. They were less privileged. They were in yeah. Belize City, which is already one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Yeah. But a lot of that violence is localized to certain communities. Yeah. There's nice communities just like everywhere. There's totally. people that have more money than people in Calgary. Like There's nice spots and there's bad spots. These kids came from the bad spots. And they were... They're the kids within these bad spots that were selected as being, like, the bad kids in the bad spots. And all put Mm -hmm. in one group to try to help these kids, which was amazing. And I love being a part of that. But it was the most challenging thing I'd ever done 
on any totally. of my trips because they would not be open to even learning about whatever it was. We were talking about mangroves. We were talking about the fish when we were snorkeling, mm-hmm. all these things. There was such a, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but I don't, I don't even know if it's masculinity because the girls were in the same boat where they wouldn't show any interest in anything for fear of, I don't even know what. Looking like a loser. Yeah, whatever it is, it was yeah. it was that they couldn't even show. Yeah. So it was so hard to get through to them. They yeah. couldn't show any interest at all because everyone else would come down on them. And, but it was everybody on everybody, so no one did. And at the end of the day, that was the group yeah. that learned the least but needed the most help. Totally. And they were just so closed off from it. I didn't know how to get through, and it was really frustrating because even with you know groups where kids were kind of had that same, you know, I'm too cool for this, you could yeah. take them aside one-on-one. You could get through to it. You could show them how fun it is to do certain activities. And it was just, yeah. you could see that they were from a really, really rough totally. area. And they grew up and they were tough. Like, they were actually really tough. Yeah. And whether or not on the inside how they felt was different. Like, maybe they were, you know, scared or, or sensitive on the inside. Yeah. yeah. But maybe I think some of them were, like, through and through, like, hardened from growing up yeah. like that since they were young. I look at... Um... I look at just when I played with guys from the States and even rural Alberta um, and some parts of even Calgary, right? Certain dudes, if you look at society as a whole, there's a lot of little micro systems and cultures that influence and impact people. So say if you come from a marginalized community or a community that maybe doesn't value knowledge and growth as much as another one, you know, you, you try to teach those people something or to help them learn or grow their own kind of societal pressure from their mini group is going to impact them it's like well why are you trying to learn what do you want do you think you're better than us uh do you do you not want to live the way that we live as maybe a family member does and i think that pressure is on a lot of people you know, and I even for us, man, when I look at football, the same pressure was with was on us because only a few dudes, you know, really got it. Where it's like there's more to life than just football and being a a badass. There's a lot more to it. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like it though. That's the thing. Yeah, when you're in it, it feels like that's it. Yeah, and but, you don't want anything more. You you yeah. just want to do that. I think about it, man, as being the easiest but hardest lifestyle to live because. You're told where to be, what to do, how to think. You always have something to look forward to. You are not the master of your own destination. So but you feel great. You yes. feel important. You feel like people love you. You feel yeah. like you have a community, a yeah. family on top of your... If you come from a good family, you have that plus this yeah. new, bigger family. Absolutely. What you think are like-minded people and for the most part are like-minded yeah. or at least act similarly. Yeah. And... You know, we'd go out Saturday nights because that was the only night to go out because mm-hmm. we'd play Saturday day and go buck wild and have yeah. lactic flush. Sunday morning, we'd have to be at the field. <laughs> Did you, I'll, I'll leave this person unnamed, but somebody that I used to live with in my first year um, went out and he came back from the bar and he knew he had to be at the lactic flush Sunday morning. That's where we basically got... We had to run all the booze out of our system. Nine o'clock in the morning. So yeah, be at the field till three. It's not that you weren't allowed to go out. It's you had to be there to run it out so that by, you know, mid-afternoon Sunday, you were back to normal. So Monday practice would, you know, continue as normal. But someone (laughs) I used to live with, and there was a bunch of guys, so I'll leave them unnamed. He knew he had to be there at 9 a.m. 
after he got out of the bar, I don't know what time he got out at, probably stayed till closing or went somewhere after, and he went to the field that night, slept in the bushes, <laughs> woke up when everyone was running, you could hear the whistle and stuff, he rolled out of the bushes fully clothed in his bar attire and ran the lactic flush. It was legendary. I remember one lactic flush I had in 2012. So we just won the, I think it was the Hardy Cup. So that's like a conference championship. And I got pretty drunk. And uh, too drunk to drive home. Because I, I live down in the south of Calgary. And Calgary's a pretty big city. So I was about 25, like 25 minutes away. And I was way too drunk to drive. So somehow I sat up until 6 a.m. and... Then made it to the the football field, and I went into the change rooms, and I just laid on the ground. <laughs> and my one of my coaches came in and asked me, "He's like, are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm just drunk." And they gave me a blanket and a a, a blanket and a pillow, <laughs> and I slept there until lactic flush. <laughs> Good two hour nap. Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah, brutal. Yeah, it was barbaric. It and, was, but it yeah. it created this. I don't know what you'd call it. I, you, you, it was, it wasn't military. It wasn't militant. It was, um, it was structure though. And a lot of guys, right? They cr- they crave structure. A lot yeah. of males, a lot of football players specifically. Yeah. Those guys really crave structure and a goal, and something to something that's greater than yourself. Because you know you'd find so much. Um, pleasure in achieving something larger than yourself or even a personal accolade, right? Because it's like a championship or a win. Man, that feels amazing. Yeah, especially you know? with... I think also the more violent a sport is, like football, oh, yeah. the more you you become closer with your teammates. Absolutely. Because you're in it together. You're on that field and you're mm-hmm. you're going through physical pain. That's why I hear with like veterans, totally. the guys I serve with, it's you know life and death, yeah. so you have a bond that's unbreakable. I think football's below that, 100%. but then below that is basketball. Because yeah. I mean, I actually I've stayed in touch a lot more, and I was closer with the basketball guys just because there was a smaller group of them. So like when we when we were playing UFC, like there was you know six, seven, eight of us yeah. all, all the time. Football, there's like eighty guys on the team. <laughs> you get your little groups, and you know I didn't really find that group because I was always with basketball in the in the off season. But yeah. during the season. You know, with the receivers and and running backs and guys, like we were super tight. No doubt. And that's because of that that violence that's associated with it. You know, it's tribalized for sure. And you always hear in the states, like people always are like, football is the closest thing to war. And I do not agree with that, but Americans love to say that. And they've done studies, like I mentioned before, with that high frequency, high intensity. And our brains get wired similar to soldiers because that's what we're used to, right? It's intensity. It's violence. It's not killing people. And by no means do I mean to compare what me and Jordan did for a period of our life to being a soldier. Because that's so far from the truth. Because you're never at the fear of dying, really. Exactly. And if you die on a football field, it's a freak accident. If you die on the (laughs) battlefield, it's it's likely. Yeah, man. And And that's the crazy part is, you know, Americans have that belief. You know, and I can see the similarities because I've had a couple buddies who've served and just their way, the way they look back on it and the similarities of going through a consistent struggle with someone in a close proximity where you're spending eight hours of a day with them creates a bond that is, you know, basically unbreakable because I can see guys that I haven't talked to in years and I can guarantee you 
I would not lose a step in a conversation with him and it would be exactly what we talked about when we were years ago and we'd get along perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, that happens sometimes. I saw. Yeah. I've seen a few guys like downtown or yeah. just around. and Or even other dudes who played ball, man. Yeah. They get you, mm-hmm. you know, because they've done it, man. They've been there. They've experienced it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, what do you miss most about ball? <laughs> I don't know. I just played, right? I just played my last season what about, okay, in, what about in Brazil. And, uh, I miss, so I miss being young because I was just on my team and I was one of the older guys now. And it's, it's weird. Yeah. Your priorities change, like what you want to do. Okay. The weird thing was, though, in Brazil, and especially in Brazil of all places, I was the one who wanted to go out all the time because it was new to me, right? Totally. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a new country. I'm only there for a limited yeah. amount of time. I wanted to go out. And most guys on my team like 20 years old and they all had girlfriends and they didn't want to go out. And my previous experience in Brazil was going out every night, having a lot of fun. And it was just weird because usually it's supposed to be the 20 year olds going out every night and the 30 year olds are the ones that want to stay in and just chill (laughs) with their girlfriend. their body heal? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but that's, I miss that too. When I say I miss being young, it's not just the fun part. I miss how I could bounce back. Yeah. I remember Waldy. I called him up one time in my first year. He was uh, he was on our team. He was one of the older guys. He played five years of junior first. Probably he was like 24, 25, eh? He was 28 by his last year. Oh, 10 years older than me, nine older than you. Yeah, That's so when I, I called him up after um, we all went out one night when we were at UFC and in the morning to play some, some touch football just for fun. You know, it was a nice day out. I think it was late spring, early summer. And he just cussed me out and hung up the phone. <laughs> And, you know, when I reached his age, I understood. You know, he no felt horrible. You can't just bounce back. Yeah. I was up like nothing. I felt fine, and he was probably feeling horrible. You know, yeah. I know what that's like now. <laughs> I miss that. I miss that when I get injured, it takes so long to heal. Yeah. And, you know, my knees every day, it's just harder and harder. It's not the same. No, and you, you lose that, that kind of, I don't know what you call it. Tenacity. You know, yeah, because the, there, there was hope, right? When you were younger, yeah. you were playing for something, right? You were playing to make the CFL, or yeah. I was playing to like try to make it to play in Europe, like, yeah. play ball over there, or whatever. And then when you're older, it's like, this is it, whatever you're doing. Yeah. You're playing men's league basketball, and it's like, yeah. I'm trying to win, but at the same time, I'm like, there's no... Dude. There's nothing more than this. <laughs> it's right? like when this I'm in the it. it's when I'm in the gym, I'm competing with absolutely every single person in there, but they have no idea I'm competing <laughs> with them. But it's for my own sense of like I've done something today. Yeah. You know, and it's it's mind boggling, right? Like that sense of competition and wanting something greater never leaves us. And I think it's one of those thirsts that's like never satisfied unfortunately because i think of dudes who've played any sort of level right even if it's it gets less satisfied yeah high school university professional football and i really wonder when people are really done are they ever satisfied with what they did on the field you know what i mean no i'm not i'm not (laughs) not even close and it's like i played for a minute in the cfl i got a year underneath my belt and i uh failed a medical and retired Teams kept calling me, and I said no. And I even when I look back now, I'm like, you know, it would have been nice to play at least another season. Mm-hmm. But then I really wonder, if I played another season, would I be satisfied? Probably not. Exactly. So I, I went back to just play my last season after being away from it for five years. Yeah. Thought I wouldn't miss a step. I'd missed like three. <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. I had my worst year ever. Hey, you balled though, bro. Well, I had a couple. If you took my like ten best plays and made a... 
made a little video out of that, it would be sick. Yeah. But if you watched my film, it was horrible. <laughs> but I had, you know, I had a couple good plays here and there that were like some of the best I had. But it's the worst when the game passes you by. You know what I mean? It is. So that's the thing. You got to have a balance of like, yeah. I'm grateful I even got to that and I got out without you know, serious, serious injuries. I yeah. have some. I have lingering ones. Everyone has them. Yep. But without anything like a totally ruptured knee or whatever. And, and, and you know what? It's worse. so much easier for you and I because we have something that gives us and fills us up with something and satisfaction from a total different thing. And I, I feel like a lot of dudes that I know... Um, yeah, we found that. And yeah. yours was Coach Nell, right? He told you to... Well, yeah. I mean, you were going down this path already? Or did yeah, you tell oh, you yeah just, I was... I remember 2011. It was a weird journey. I played on Team Canada, and I didn't know at the time because I kept it a secret from everyone. I herniated my C7-T1, so basically my arm stopped working, and I wouldn't tell anyone. And whenever I'd get hit, my arm would just be, like, dead beside me. And I was working in bars at the time, so I come back from Team Canada... We go into the season for UFC. And here's just a picture of how bad my strength went down. So at the time, I could maybe hit like a 405 bench. I couldn't even do a single push-up. My arm did not work. And so I went and get an MRI. Uh, at UFC gives me an MRI the next day. After they fail my medical and I go back and I'm talking to my doctor, my team doctor. And he's like, you're probably, he's like, honestly, man. He's like, how did you play six games with this? And why did you not tell anyone? And I was like, well, I don't know, because that fear of being a, being weak, right, being a man, that masculinity that we touched on. And so I got, I couldn't play for a year, so I left the bar, I continued to do school, and I went and got a job uh, with PDD, so it's Persons with Developmental Disabilities. So I worked with older clients that had some sort of cognitively, cognitive disability and I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was an easy gig. You know, I could train, lift weights, and prepare for next season because I told myself I'm not going to miss my last season of football. I'm still going to go pro. So that's how I started kind of in the mental health field, and that was like my first foot into it. So I go back. I end up being an all-star, um, come back after that year off. And uh, before that, I worked at Walmart. Before I got to the PDD job, and that was brutal because I worked that, in the that back. also helps you, right? Because that totally, tells you what you man. don't want to do. Yeah, you know? and, and it's the like thing, when I worked at Sears Warehouse, totally. I knew I vowed I would never be back. But you did it because you had to do it, and a lot of yeah. people won't do those menial things that they think they're above. Mm. But it's like, man, you know what? I need a paycheck. I need a job. I need something to do. I can't just sit around and be depressed. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I come back, have a good season. Somehow, I end up signing with the Alouettes. Go play for the Alouettes, come back during the offseason, do the PDD job. And I just didn't really enjoy it. So I was talking to Coach Nell, and he's like, well, you know, I worked at Hall Services years ago. He's like, why don't you apply? I said, awesome. Well, why not? And I did, and that's basically how I that's fell yeah. into it. You know, yeah. it was a neck injury that really propelled yeah. me to That's such a classic story. It. Same you thing know? with me. It was, um, it was a knee injury, though, but not a serious knee injury. The most annoying thing was that I was able to still play. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't good anymere. I lost all my athleticism. My knee worked. Is that twenty ten? Yeah. Yeah, that was the last year you played with me. Yeah, that's when it was I heard it right before that when I was playing basketball. Yeah. It was actually warm ups in basketball. It was so so annoying. The the tip of my femur broke off where it connects to your uh, patella tendon. Yeah. 
And so just a chip. But what happened was my knee didn't track right. So basically my knee would give out if I went a certain way. So I could like run forward, but I couldn't make cuts. Huh. So I'd practice and then I wouldn't dress for games basically. Or I'd dress for the game. Yeah. I never got in. I didn't even play like that whole last year. Yeah. I, you know, I'd be on the sideline and be ready, but I couldn't be trusted to even make a cut. So you totally. can't play receiver when you can't make cuts. But yeah, th- what that did was force me to look to what I wanted to do. I still yeah. had no idea what I wanted to do. I still don't know if I know exactly what I want to do. Yeah, man. But in, as far as school goes, though, I started taking all those electives because I didn't even know what I was taking in school. And I found these geography classes, which were interesting. And I found the sustainable development which was, you know, conservation kind of based. And it was all about nature and it was all, all about being outside and it was all about, you know, how we can do that in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Keep these places for future generations and not even for future generations, also just for ourselves while we're here right now. How can we make the most of it without, you know, destroying it? And that just spoke to me and I went down that road all because of my knee. And in the end, yeah, so now... Because eventually age takes over. Even yeah. if we had the best careers ever, never got injured, eventually. Don't play forever. Yeah, age comes to everybody. Even LeBron, eventually. Age the longer come. you live, the sooner you'll die. Remember that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Dude, that was the chant after he won games. Was it? The oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Live, so, yeah the sooner you'll yeah, die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant that was like a saying. No, that was, that was yeah. UFC, man. Yeah, that was a... But it was like a chant. I mean, yeah, didn't you think, think about of it, that though. those were the words. Makes sense. The longer you live, the sooner you'll die. Was <laughs> it like, hey, 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 how do yeah. you do it? Na 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 na. Hey, always remember: the longer you live, the sooner you're gonna die. Hey, and we do that like what three times? Yeah, that was. That it was took me like two years to learn. What it was oh yeah, <laughs> I think I've only. I, I think I only let it once. Yeah, it was deadly though. I don't think I ever wanted to even say it because I was too bummed if we lost, or I was like too ecstatic if we won. I didn't want to participate either way. I was just like... I hated that rah-rah stuff anyways, though. Like, jumping around. The only rah-rah I liked was Dave Megatron Simpson. He had some of the most unique... Oh, yeah. Like, he would bombard other teams with things about, like... (laughs) I didn't want to say what he... I don't (laughs) even say. He was just so unique what he would say. Megatron? His creative mind was yeah. out of control. Dave looked like Megatron from the original animated Transformers <laughs> and sounded like him. Sounded, but he didn't have a giant exactly cannon like for him. an arm. But he did have about 19-inch biceps. Yeah, he was ridiculous. A deadly tribal sleeve. He was jacked beyond yeah. belief. Great dude. And Weird. he used to just play around, too. Like, one time yeah. he was in the bathroom with, like... He's in the bathroom stall, and this kid came in, and he just sort of, like, screaming and said there was so much blood everywhere and told the kid to get help for no reason, <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> he's out of, out of control. Yeah, he's definitely uh, definitely a unique individual, man. We played with some. Yeah, we some could go on about yeah, about all those guys, but we digress. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for coming by, Josh. This was awesome to was catch good. up. Thanks over for this having medium. me, man. I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's very cool to see what you're doing with yourself, Jordan, and I'm glad to consider you a friend. So thank, thank you, you, man. Yeah, I, I just love seeing guys that you didn't even turn around your life. Right? It's not like we were going down a bad path, no. but it's just nice to see that we were able to go from that and then do what it's supposed to be. From university athletics, we're supposed to be a leg up. Yeah. Right? That's supposed to help you. That's supposed to make connections and, and allow you to go on and do good things. So it's nice to see when that does happen. And yeah, I'm just glad you're doing well and it was awesome to have you here. Appreciate it, brother. So that's it for today. 
Um, shouts out to our partners, EcoCompanion.com, the best adventure and eco travel site in the UK. We've partnered with them um, since our inception. They were our first partner, actually, so check them out. Um, Embodied Adventure, partnering with them to do a yoga retreat with a tree trip. We're going to do that in April, so that's all over the website and everywhere. Um, that's run by Jess LeBlanc, and she's wonderful, and that's going to be a great time. And that's it. See you next time. Hope you enjoy listening to Josh. Take care. Bye.